When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk with Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. It's a rapid fire pod. We like to do these every so often. Just you know, keep the texters involved. 614-350-3315. If you want to sign up for the text, get news, get analysis, ask questions. Literally get anything you would desire, anything your hearts desire through the text, 614-350-3315, two-week free trial, 399 after that. We're going to jump straight into it. From the 323, this is more just a technical question just because people are asking what's going on here. What is the 5 plus 7 model that the CFP is supposed to be voting on this week? Uh, obviously, some news broke, Nathan, that there is a, going to be a vote on February 20th to officially approve the 5 by plus seven, almost said five by seven, five plus seven model. That's just a 12 team playoff. That's the top five teams in terms of conference championships. And then the other seven teams who would make the college football playoff. Correct. Well, close It's So when they first proposed the 12 team format, it was going to be six and six, which is all five power, five champions, a group of five, the highest ranked group of five team, and then six at large and five plus seven is just removing one of the power five down to the power four. Now that the Pac-12, as much as they're trying to fight it, it seems like ceases to exist. So it'll be the power four power four champions, one group of five champion, and seven at-large teams, which only makes it even more likely that, that Ohio State is in this every single year. Okay. So that's how it concerns Ohio State. This is some more technical question to start things up. Well, but good question. Good question. We do like to provide stuff like that as well. Now, from the five, one, three. If you could go in a time machine and cover any sporting event in sports history in person, what would it be? Andrew, we'll start with you. If you could cover anything that's ever happened in sports, any time period of your of human history, what would you go cover? Yeah, uh, look, I'm not going to lie. I thought about this question longer than any other question that was on this list. Um, I thought about this for hours. Um, the There were a couple ones that I really was drawn to but it was hard for me to pick anything other than the miracle on ice um that would have been a really just just awesome game to cover because i think like the cool thing about sporting events and the 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 thing that i kind of figured out as i was doing this list and i was kind of picking some games or picking some events like it's more than just oh hey this was a great game you know, like it, you know, covering like Chiefs Bills, that playoff game where it was like the Chiefs scored in like 13 seconds or whatever. Like, yeah, that would have been crazy. And that would have been a crazy and fun and I mean, anxiety inducing, but it would have been an awesome game to cover. But like the games that matter way more than just like what happened, like in the game or something, that would have been um, that that would have just been awesome. So, yeah, the Miracle on Ice for me was was the choice just because of kind of what it meant, uh, the significance of the game. Like, I really love hockey, so that would have been awesome. Um, I was between that and the rumble in the jungle. Um, those were kind of where I was uh, – those, those were where I was at. I, um, I didn't know 
if I wanted to do the Foreman Ali match, but I, I decided on Miracle on Ice. So th- those were kind of my top two. Nathan, what would you cover? So I could probably do a whole podcast just on the baseball ones that I would want to go to. Um, but they mm-hmm. they seem more frivolous the more I thought about this. Because to me, my final answer was, and I'm not saying this to, to pander, it just happens to have an Ohio State connection. But Jesse Owens at the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. And especially if you're going back with the perspective that you have now. I mean, they knew at the time what Hitler was about, that he professed this, you know, the 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 superiority of the Aryan race and all that stuff. And then Jesse Owens goes out and just makes a bunch of white guys eat dust uh, for an entire Olympics right in front of him. Uh, that would have been a satisfying thing, I think, to watch happen and to be able to try to encapsulate it correctly in history and uh, probably also just have a little bit of fun with, um, again, the, the problematic thing is at the time, I don't, it, it wasn't quite as, even though they knew that that philosophical, if you want, for lack of a better reason, um, contrast was happening between Hitler and what was happening on the, in the stadium, what he eventually did obviously hadn't happened yet. So if you're actually going back in time and now you know that, that makes it a little bit more complicated. You almost have to take that out of it a little bit, I suppose, because, um, <laughs> but but just to, to watch uh, someone, th- how historic that is, when, when, when sports can like supersede sports and yeah. is something an event that then has like world significance beyond just the outcome of the events and the outcome of the Olympics um, is special. So that was the one that I can't keep coming back to as would have been just kind of surreal to watch that play out. Um, Whether you do or do not know what's coming next, it's still, it was still so present in the moment of uh, this this guy, this person um, espousing this philosophy and then an athlete coming in and just destroying it. That was on my list. I had a couple. That one was on my list because that one, I almost want to bring that one into today's age, not everything else that happened after that, obviously, but just imagine that happening during the social media age where that's how Hitler's thinking and then Jesse Owens goes out and does that. That's that's just it's just beautiful. So that um, I thought about Ali Sunny Liston because that's like a moment in time. A legend was born when, in the first minute of the first round on May twenty fifth, nineteen sixty five. So I think about that one. I think about the nineteen ninety two Olympics covering the Dream Team because that's like a line in the sand. Yeah, basketball went global in that moment right there. And there's so much about basketball that's before and after that moment in terms of what you're looking at in the NBA now. And then, I mean, I was a sports writer at this time, but this team I cover wasn't in season. But I was, (laughs) I was actually there when it got canceled. I was at the big tournament when it got canceled in 2020. I would have loved any event that was happening the night that COVID got real. And so all of a sudden things are getting canceled, right? Like what if you're at, the Utah Jazz game, and it, all of a sudden, Rudy, it's like rumors of Rudy Gobert is doing that stuff, and it's stopping. And that one's interesting just because we're still sports writers, and that's we cover real-world events sometimes when they happen in sports, but that's like a real-world event times a 1,000. So just imagine calling your bosses and being like, uh, yeah, man, uh, <laughs> they, call, they, uh, they canceled the, plague the game. The here. I, there's a plague here. I don't know if I should go quarantine or if I should write a story about what's happening. Just kind of, I don't know. Like that was a crazy time in life and we lived through that. So just any, I would have loved to just been covering an actual game while that's breaking because you're trying to do your job while you're also calling your family and trying to make sure everybody's good. And it's just so much chaos around the one. So those were the ones I picked. I think you guys picked some good ones as well. The Well, I, I wanted to add in too, the, the COVID one is a freaking fantastic answer. Like that, like that's a great one because like, I think we all kind of remember like where we were in certain moments of that year. 
um, which is crazy to say that that's like almost four years away now mm-hmm. um, or four years beyond uh, four years ago. Um, I remember I was headed home from work and I remember I'll remember this for the rest of my life. I was leaving work and one of the uh, one of the like one of my colleagues looked at me as I was leaving and went, they're pulling teams off the floor. I think it was Dallas or I don't know if it was Utah. Um, I think it was Utah um, because then the, there was the scene with Mark Cuban where he was mm-hmm. like looking at the phone and they had him reacting. But I remember I was driving home and the NBA had canceled while I was driving home. Like the NBA had officially announced it. Uh, Sarah Palin was on The Voice and Tom Hanks had COVID. <laughs> that, I just I, I like all in a 45 minute stretch when I was driving back from uh, from Silver Spring, Maryland up to Baltimore. I remember that happening and then getting back and being like, oh, oh my God, like what, what's going on? So that's a great answer. Um, did you guys also pick sporting events or whatever that you guys had no clue on? Because the one that I started thinking about was this is a is a deep poll. I believe it was the 08 four by 100 relays in men's swimming where the U.S. Mm. team came back and beat the French team. And Jason Lezak had like this miraculous comeback to save like Michael Phelps and Michael Phelps like won like they the Americans won that meet. And then that propelled Phelps to be able to get the most gold medals in one Olympics in history. And like there were just moments like that where I thought I was like, I know nothing about competitive swimming. I don't know timing. I don't know nothing about boxing either. And I had the rumble in the jungle on there. But there were just moments I was like, that would have been really cool to cover, even if I have no idea what I'm writing about, what I'm talking about in terms of the sport. So I think that just kind of furthers the significance of like, I want it like this is a worldly event that you're covering. Nah, I kind of stuck the stuff where I at least know the sport. <laughs> I would have rather just like been there and mm-hmm. just watched it as a fan with some of that other stuff. Let's get into some, some actual football talk. I'm not going to make this list a full top 10 because that's. That's a lot, and we're trying to make this as rapid fire as possible. I'll just say about Rushmore's, which Nathan and I have done before, but Andrew, this is your chance to add your piece to this. With all the talk about how dynamic this OSU backfield could be this upcoming season, name your top 10 OSU running backs, not including Henderson and Judkins. So let's minute that and just make it a Mount Rushmore, so top four, which Travion Henderson and Quinshawn Judkins would not be in my top four one because Quinshawn Judkins has still not even had a football practice for Ohio State. And Trayvon Henderson, I think, while he's amongst the most talented probably in Ohio State history, when you're talking about best ever and you know, goat talking, that type of stuff, I don't know if necessarily he has the accolades or the production yet to be in that conversation. So I'll go first here. I'll have Archie Griffin's obvious two-time Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, he's probably the most – no one's ever passing him. In that in this conversation, I'd say Ezekiel Elliott, and it's a lot of it is based on that three game run that won Ohio State a national championship, the seventy five yards through the south. But also, he was just probably the most talented, most gifted running back they've had here. I'd go Maurice Claret, and I'd go Byers, Keith Byers, because that's a guy where I wonder if you put him in today's game, a guy that big and that strong, but still that explosive. Even without spread out offenses are, could he be like almost Derrick Henry-like in college football? Nathan, where would you go? Top four. So I don't remember who I had on my Rushmore when we did it a few years ago. Archie obviously has to be up there. Um, really tempted to put J.K. Dobbins up there high. Um, obviously, it was more like a promising year, a not-so-great year, and then a fantastic year. but just in terms of influence over, you know, a full three-year period, um, I think is, is impressive. Um, and then it gets tough. Cause then like, where are you putting someone like Hopalong Cassidy who doesn't really fit in any of the modern definitions of how we look at this, but for his time was a sort of transcendent player, a really important player. And then my fourth one, it I I'd have a tough choice I think between Zeke and Eddie George, um, because when you win a Heisman and when you win it kind of the way he did, where it was a a clear a you know he had really elevated himself to an important place in the sport and then continued on with a, a really strong NFL career. I think those might be the four that I 
land on. Kenny George is a good one. That's a good one. Andrew, top four running backs. Ohio State. Yeah, I would say kind of, I mean, to echo what you guys had, uh, Archie, duh. Uh, to me, Eddie George is up there. Um, I have Zeke and JK on that list. Um, just kind of what you mentioned, the the modern definition, I think just kind of what they did. Like Dobbins, I think second in, in rushing yards all time. Like just what he was able to do in terms of just pure talent. I, I think that that, I mean, it's it's hard to compare eras of, you know, a guy from, you know, 2017, 18, whatever, to a guy from, you know, 1950, um, even if he does have a great kind of old-timey sports name like Hopalong. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I uh, I definitely chose uh, those guys just kind of for what, what they did kind of more in the modern era, I think. I think, you know, that does maybe do a disservice to the past, but um, I, uh, I, I think having... Dobbins on that list is, is completely fair and completely defensible. So, yeah. Um, Archie, Eddie, Zeke, and Dobbins. So those are just a few questions. We're actually uh, – kudos to us so far. This has actually been a rapid-fire podcast. I'm actually proud of the way we're getting through this. We're going to take a quick break here, and then we'll come back and get into some more questions from our texters here on Buckeye Talk. It's a rapid-fire podcast. Get the text, 614-350-3315. It's an actual rapid-fire podcast. It's been less than 20 minutes into the pod, and we've answered like three or four questions. That's how a rapid fire is supposed to be done. This is Hopefully, this is setting a new standard for what we mean when we say rapid fire questions like this. From the 804, are we concerned that we are talking about next year's defense like last year's offense? It was assumed everything that, excuse me, it was assumed even with a new quarterback that all the talent would have them scoring 40 points a game, and that didn't play out. Nate, Nathan, we'll start with you because because of the face you're making here. But the if you had expectations that the offense wouldn't necessarily completely fall off a cliff, which I wouldn't say it fell off a cliff, but it clearly didn't meet the standard in which we have come to expect under Ryan Day when it comes to Ohio State's offense. And maybe does it give you any pause as a lesson for how you should apply things to the defensive side of the ball this year when you're probably thinking – Oh, what we saw last year, somehow they're going to build on that. <clears throat> well, no, because I think there's a very big difference in what we're talking about here. In 2023, with that offense, yes, there were some parts coming back, whether that was Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka and Trevion Henderson and Cade Stover. Like We knew that there, was, there were guys coming back, but about half of that offense wasn't coming back. It was you know, having to replace a lot on the offensive line. It was having to find a new starting quarterback, and that position affects how the offense operates any more than any single position does on defense, uh, unquestionably. And then on top of that, I think it was also more a comparison. It, we were putting a lot on Ryan Day. We're putting a lot on the system and saying, well, this system has always just churned along, and even if there's some bumps along the way, this system will find a way to churn along. With this year's defense, it's just pure talent. Like everybody's back, everybody's back, and they added one of the two guys, one of the three starters that they've lost. They added an upgrade. They got one of the best safeties in the country to come in and be the replacement for Josh Proctor, who also had a strong year last year. But and then at the two linebacker spots, where you're losing multiple year starters, you're talking about guys. Now Cody Simon may end up being very heavily in the mix. But you've also got options there between C.J. Hicks and Sonny Styles and whoever else where you might be upgrading that position as well. It's just a pure talent discussion right now. This was already one of the best defenses in the country, and they're bringing back almost the whole thing for another shot at it and maybe upgrading at multiple positions. That, that's a different conversation. Last year was more about faith, where you were kind of projecting this isn't about projecting. Mm-hmm. We already know this is one of the best defenses in the country. They did it last year. They, the same guys did it last year. And it's it's more a – it's a different assumption. Last year it was a projection. This year it's an assumption. Yes, they were that good last year. If they all stay healthy, they'll be as good or better this year. Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you look at – the the offense from 2023 and kind of what it was going in i remember the conversations that we had about it and we were just like oh well 
Kyle McCord can, you know, he can maybe be a Heisman candidate. That's just what you come to expect and blah, blah, blah. And, and we, like those conversations were what we talked about with quarterback. And that's fine. Uh, we, I mean, anybody who kind of thought that turned out to be wrong, but like, that's fine to think that I understand how we got to that place, but the problem, or I guess not the problem, but maybe the difference is like, I've seen this defense be good. Like I've seen this iteration of the defense be good, like on the field before. Um, and, and I, I've seen this happen. You know, I, I know that the guys coming back are good. I know that the unit coming back is good. And then to Nathan's point, you bring in Caleb Downs. And all these guys get older and, you know, you're, you're basically, I mean, you're trading, I mean, maybe, maybe like Sonny Styles for Caleb Downs. And then, but then Sonny Styles goes down to linebacker to replace one of Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg, maybe like there, there's, you're, you're not losing a ton in terms of talent. Um, I know you're losing Eichenberg and you're losing Mike Hall and, you know, like in Steel Chambers and, and those things are you know, significant in their own ways, but the defense is still loaded. Like I've, I've watched this with my own eyes and I know that they're good. And um, yeah, I, I don't need to, I don't need to have that, uh, to have that thought. Um, I am curious what happens like when they play, you know, Oregon or something like that. And they go down seven, nothing on the first drive and people say, Oh my God, what's going on. But no, I, this defense, I I know for a fact it's good, and I know for a fact it's good because I know what my eyes have told me, and that defense that I just saw is coming back. I I think Nathan put it the best way: one's having faith, and one is an assumption of what it just you're asking, you're expecting someone to do something they literally did a year ago, literally the same people. It would be like had we had the expectations for the offense in 2023 to be like what it was in 2022 and everybody from that 2022 team outside of maybe one person that's not CJ Stroud is coming back. That's the comparison there. And we, we did not, I'll speak for myself. I won't say we, I did not take into account how much of yes, the system is really good, but it's also really good when your quarterbacks, you know, the, NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year, NFL Record-Breaking Court. It, it, that helps. And I don't think I took that into account. I think to Nathan's point, I just expected the system to let to allow this offense to have a higher floor than it ended up having when there's so many more variables to it than that. You don't have to think about any of that. Everybody, Michael Hall and Tommy Eichenberg, if we're going to be frank about it, if we would have ranked the top 10 people from Ohio State's defense from a year ago, those two are the only people in that top 10 that you can make a case for who are not back this year. That's and you repl- and the guys you're replacing them with in the top 10 are higher on that list of top 10 players than where they were when they were at Ohio State. And that's with all due respect to what both of those players were here, but like Caleb Caleb Downs and potentially third-year Sonny Styles or potentially TJ Hicks tearing into something more or you know Jack Sword, Kenyatta Jackson, JT on down the list could potentially be higher on that list when we get to the end of next year. So, yes, assumption versus faith, you can have a lot more assumptions about what this defense is going to be this year while still having all those questions about the offense. Because, yes, they brought a lot of pieces back too, but it is a new quarterback, and we're still trying to figure out what this offensive line is going to look like. From the 215, this is the last worry question, by the way, because we have to, we have to, everybody has a voice. There are people who are worried, and they can be worried. Is there a concern that Chip Kelly working under Ryan Day will be a conflict of interest considering that Kelly is Day's mentor? Could this create a weird dynamic within the program, especially if the offense looks clunky? Andrew, I'll start with you. Any chance that just gets weird just because Ryan Day is the boss of the guy who is his mentor? I, I, I think that there's a possibility of that, but I, I think the possibility also kind of lies in the fact that Ryan Day is handing off his child basically to someone else and this new guy coming in is going to have to at some point I mean you mentioned the mentorship there like this new guy coming in Chip Kelly is basically just going to have to tell Ryan Day like no I got this go do something else I I I got it you know you're you're handing your kid off to daycare and you're worried that they're not going to take care of them and they're not going to do all well, the things 
<laughs> I know exactly. You're handing your kid off to daycare and you're doing all those things and, and you're, you're worried. Oh, you, you know, make sure he does this and make sure he does that. And you, you know, gotta, gotta do that. And it's like, at some point you just got to put your hand up and be like, I got it. I'm a professional. I know what I'm doing. We can handle this. And, and I, and I wonder kind of what that moment is um, during the year where, you know, you kind of reach that point where Ryan Day, because he said, like, Ryan Day said it in that press conference where he was like, I didn't want to give up play calling. And you have to wonder, like, when that itch is going to come back because he can he can bring things up, obviously. Like, this isn't saying, like, Ryan Day is just like, all right, guys, like, have fun with the offense. I'll see you later. Like, Ryan Day can still be involved in meetings and still bring things up and still kind of make, make uh, assessments and make, you know, adjustments as he sees fit and things like that. So... I am curious, you know, they're playing Iowa and all of a sudden Ryan Day's saying, you know, I think we need to have X in the game plan more. You know, we need to be doing this. Uh, you know, we should have a couple of these kind of plays this so far in the game plan. And Chip Kelly says, no, we're going to do this because X, Y, Z. And I'm curious kind of like what that, what that, ha- what like what that dynamic is like. So I, I don't know if it's so much a conflict of interest, like considering the mentorship. I mean, I think maybe, but um, I, I lean more towards you got a guy who really loves play calling, who is no longer calling plays. And what happens when he starts to have a problem with play calling? How, how does that dynamic go? So I, I think that that's probably where I lie on that. I, I think it's more of an on field thing than just a, uh, you know, than kind of a mentorship thing. Nathan, any weirdness? Ryan Day is the boss of the guy who is his biggest mentor. You would hope that that's something they've already talked through a little bit before making this decision. It was, you know, Chip Kelly had a job, so, you know, he's leaving a job to come here and do this. And we presume taking a pay cut. We haven't seen those uh, documents yet. Um, Taking a pretty substantial one, probably. And I still think if you think that Ryan Day needed to step back from play calling, if you think that was better for the program then you have to be less concerned about the awkwardness or whatever with Chip Kelly than you would have been if he was just promoting Brian Hartline or putting another less experienced play caller in place. Because with Chip Kelly, yes, they have a dynamic. And I think Chip Kelly is not going to... The awkwardness would be if if your offensive coordinator is trying to... who has a long career as a head coach is trying to do more than he should out of in that realm, I think. And I don't foresee that being a problem for either Kelly or Bill O'Brien, if he had stayed, because I think both of them know what it means to be the head coach and how the coordinators serve a head coach. So that is going to help here that, that Kelly has been a coach as long as he has and knows what Ryan day needs of him is not to leave those boundaries as an offensive coordinator. At the same time, I think that he will put up, some of his own should put up some of its own. And I think Ryan day should want that. I think Ryan day should want, here's our offense. Here's what we do. Here are the plays that we run. Here's how we do things. You call the plays within that. I'm trusting your intelligence and wisdom to be the one in charge of that on Sundays or Saturdays and in charge of the game plan Sunday through Friday and, and leading the leading the goal, putting that together. And at its best, that should be a, a, an incredible opportunity for Ohio State to bring in someone with this much head coaching responsibility and, and experience and have them sort of synthesize it down to just one side of the ball. And on top of that, someone who is is renowned for his offensive capabilities, I, I think that's it should be nothing but good for Ohio State. As far as I understand where the question's coming from, because it, it is a little bit of a weird dynamic where there's been this role reversal. I mean, Ryan Day was the guy who was following Chip Kelly around, not following around, but was like, you know, got his first, you know, NFL tastes on Chip Kelly's staffs and is the younger of the two. And was, he probably looked up to Chip Kelly and all those things back in the day. But at this stage of their careers, you know, Ryan Day has proven himself as a head coach. Chip Kelly took this job for specific reasons. And I think one of those reasons is, they know they can win a national championship this year. And why would Chip Kelly want to do anything that gets in the way of that? Um, and why would Ryan Day... Ryan Day made this choice because he thinks putting someone in charge of the offense 
helps him do the things that will allow them to win a national championship. So I'm still optimistic that this won't be an issue. I think it's something, again, that they would probably have talked through already. I think if Ryan Day thought that this was a potential, he knows Chip Kelly. He knows his personality. He knows the the man he is. I think if he thought that this was a potential clash or problem on the horizon, he wouldn't have gone down this road. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a problem. It is an interesting thing to bring up, though, because for a couple of reasons. One, because of the dynamic that those two have already had that's been established for over 20 years. The fact that Chip Kelly hasn't necessarily been a soldier since 2008. It's been over 15 years since he hasn't been the guy in charge of the program. And that's when he was an offensive coordinator to Oregon. Since then, obviously, he went to the NFL for a couple of years where he was a head coach there. And then he was an ESPN analyst in 2017 for a season, and then he got hired as UCLA as a head coach. It's been a while since Chip Kelly has just been an assistant coach. So maybe there is a bit of an adjustment. There's muscle memory, right, that you've, you're just used to doing things, and maybe that pops out every so often, which is fine when it's happening in the spring. If this is an adjustment for everybody. And I think for Ryan Day, it's just he's not your mentor right now. He's your employee. He's the guy working for you now. And I, I th- and I'm not saying that as if Ryan, I'm worried about Ryan Day not seeing it that way. Like you said, Nathan, these are probably conversations that were had back when they originally were doing this interview process. And Ryan Day was trying to figure out who was going to be his offensive coordinator before he had eventually hired Bill O'Brien and had to pivot to Chip Kelly in this situation. It's it's Chip Kelly is almost like the perfect plan B to have in this situation because it is a guy who knows you very well already and can help you through those things and be a person to lean on in those moments. But it's not a worry, but it is a necessary thing to at least bring up because it's life sometimes, man. It's weird when the person who you have looked up to and has been someone you've leaned on for advice, all of a sudden now you're in a position where you're telling them what to do. That could be weird for anybody. So it's just human nature in those situations. From the 6-1-4, we're going to do this from both sides of the ball because this is football, and in football you have an offensive and a defensive MVP. If you could pick one MVP for next year's team, who would it be? Let's start with the offensive side, Andrew, because we're going to do offense and defense. Right now, it's February 15th as people are listening to this pod. Predict who who would you say is going to be the MVP of Ohio State's offense in 2024? Who do I think is going to be? Um I have a really hard time not picking Will Howard. Like because I look at kind of what this offense is going to be and it's it's one thing to to kind of look at the talent on board and, and you can see the talent, right? Like the running backs are great, but how do you differentiate those guys? If there is going to be a little bit more of a split role, like how, like how do you split that with Henderson and Judkins? And then the receivers like Emeka Buka should be great. And, and he should come back and, and kind of be in this, you know, kind of lead role. But is he what Marv was last year? I don't think so. And then you're talking about other guys too. You have Carnell Tate, you know, maybe you have Jeremiah Smith, you got Brandon Ennis, you got, you got a lot of talent there. Um, Not saying that you didn't have that talent a year ago, but there is a lot of talent there to maybe split it up. It's hard to pick an offensive lineman as an MVP of a team. I mean, unless one of them just kind of shows up and they're a top three pick in the draft, you know, you get, you know, Ohio state has their own Paris Johnson again, or you get an Olu Fashanu or a Joe Alt or something like that. Then, then maybe, maybe, um, I just, I think all roads kind of lead back to Will Howard. And for me, I think if Will Howard is the MVP of this team, um, I mean, that's great news for, for Ohio state. And again, I, I just, yeah, it, it has to be the quarterback. I think for me, because no matter what you look at, no matter what metric you use to qualify it the quarterback is the most important thing. And especially when you bring in a transfer quarterback and so much it feels like it's riding on kind of him and, and him being, you know, an NFL player. I just, it ha- it has to be Will Howard. Nathan, who's your offensive MVP? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're putting odds on it, Howard would get the best odds simply because he's not sharing anything. You know, Trevin Henderson is going to be sharing with Quinchon Judkins. Emeka Buka is going to be sharing things with the rest of that receiving core. And even if you think he's the featured guy there, 
is he is he a Marvin Harrison Jr. like talent who is going to be seen as the receiver that's kind of putting the offense on his back? I don't know if I see that coming to fruition. Plus, again, we think this could be a more run run oriented offense in in this season. So because of all of those things, I think, and especially because of the added caveat of, oh, the quarterback play last year dipped a little bit. If he comes in and is better and is something closer to what Ohio State has been used to, then I think that is given a different sort of credit. Like he gets, he comes in and he, he righted the ship in an important way. So all those things would make him the front runner for me. Assuming he wins the job. I think that's a safe pick. I'm not saying it's the wrong pick. I just think picking the quarterback is a safe pick. And I'm going to pick Javion Henderson. I just think, yes, Quinshawn Judkins is here. But as we talked about on a pod earlier this week, that doesn't mean that one guy, that both of these guys are just not going to have a sense of production. In fact, they both, unlike in 2018 when they tried to do this, both of these guys are enthusiastically on board to share a backfield. So. If we had in 2018 two guys who wanted nothing to do with sharing a backfield and one of them still had 1,000 yards and the other one was at 850 yards, what does it look like when both guys are actually on board with it and potentially the offensive line is better? Obviously, those things matter and your quarterbacks are run threat. But I look at it like 2019, and Nathan, I don't know if you remember or not, we did a video, I think, after the Penn State game where we were trying to decide who was Ohio State's best Heisman Trophy candidate at that time. And we went. The, the, the options were Justin Fields, Chase Young, and J.K. Dobbins, which is crazy to think about that that was a realistic thing for us to do. And Justin Fields is a quarterback, so obviously he ends up going. Chase Young was a monster, so obviously he ends up going. But I think the if we really look back on that season, J.K. Dobbins was the engine behind that offense and, quite frankly, probably the most valuable player in that offense because when they played in the, those bigger games down the stretch – they started just giving J.K. Dobbins the ball. And and against Clemson, things started to fall apart once J.K. Dobbins went down in the in, with the injury and so he could no longer be the explosive running back that had two explosive runs early on in that game. And I am starting to come around on this idea that, yes, to get through the year, they're going to use both Travion and Quinchon Judkins. But something tells me when they're playing Oregon, Travion might get that ball 25 plus times because we've seen them do that when he's been healthy. In, in 2021, they gave him the ball against Penn State 20 plus times in that game. We've seen him do it at other times. It's just he hasn't been fully enough healthy. But I think in these bigger games, they might lean on Travion in a way and both getting them involved in the run game, but also maybe getting them involved in the passing game where we look back on that season and go, yes, they had all these weapons, but when push comes to shove, they gave Travion Henderson the ball and he's what ended up winning them a national championship because they finally got the best version of Travion Henderson for a full season. Yeah, maybe, but I think it's just as likely they would give the ball to Quinchon Judkins 25 times in some of these games. It's going to depend on the opponent to some extent. I don't think you can necessarily right now say that Travion Henderson is is clearly a class above Quinchon Judkins as a running back when you look at the, the totality of everything that they've accomplished yet in their career. And that's the thing. Like, I, it, For me, it's just a pure maybe Trevion has a, a great season and you could have his best season. He just may not get the ball as much. You may also be looking back. There may be a real debate when we get to mid season, like which of these two running backs is the better running back. And uh, it could be kind of an academic debate because if how state's winning and the offense is productive, then it doesn't really matter. But that's just what it comes back to me. It's like, I, the reason that Judkins transferring here seemed like such a lightning bolt was it's even more so than downs in some way was just seemed kind of superfluous. Like, like, yes, you know, we, yes, they do need multiple running backs. They need depth at running back, but they didn't need that depth to be a, you know, two years ago, freshman, all American, two time, yeah. all sec guy who's run for 2,500 yards, like all those other things, right? Like that to get someone of that level of accomplishment and this level of talent was just just such, just such not, overkill is not the right word because it obviously makes them better and it doesn't cost them anything necessarily. It's just, it, it just, it was so over the top and downs to a certain extent at, at safety, although they, they needed a starter there more than they needed a starter at running back. So 
I, to me, it just keeps coming back to two guys are going to split what would usually be the MVP production. I don't know if you mm-hmm. can if you can be the MVP. Like Marvin Harrison Jr. would have been this team's offensive MVP this past year, obviously. But especially partially because Ibuka got hurt, but I think even when Ibuka was around, there was a difference in how those guys felt on the field and a difference in how Kyle McCord treated them at times and how he leaned on Marvin Harrison Jr. And unless that dynamic unfolds at running back, and I guess I'm skeptical that it would, I I think that that would be hard for the, an MVP to come out of that group. So let's do defense. Nathan, you can go first. Defensive MVP. I'm trying to just bring this down to who would seem like maybe the face of the defense yeah. and a, a leader of the defense. And I think there's a lot of guys you could pick from. But I'm going to say JT Tuimaloau because I think he's the one of the candidates. And I think you could throw Denzel Burke in. You could throw Tyleek Williams in. There's there's other options. Lathan Ransom even in some ways. But he's the one that I think could pair all of those intangible things with a like overwhelming statistical case. Like if mm-hmm. if this is a year where his game takes another step and he becomes a more consistent edge rush finisher, then that will lend itself towards a, a title like this. So I thought about Denzel Burke because his entire attitude is his defense. And it's been all last year that was the case, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be the case this year. They, if, if we were only allowed to talk to one representative from the defense all year, I think I would want it to be Denzel Burke because he would give us the best – you know, the vibe around what this defense is on a weekly basis. I hope that doesn't actually happen, obviously, but just in general, he's the, I think he's the voice in the heart of this team. I went Jack Sawyer because what if the Missouri game is what he is now? And Denzel Burke might be really good this year. I think JT Tuimaloao is going to be really good this year. I think JT Tuimaloao plays at a level where he's probably going to be a first round draft pick next year. I don't know if he's a top 10 pick, but can he be like the 24th pick? Maybe. Sure. Caleb Downs is just going to be Caleb Downs, man. But I don't know if you can ever say – I don't know if a safety can be like the MVP of your defense and it be everything it should be, which is – I don't and I don't know if, even know if that's fair or not. And the same thing at linebacker. But if what Jack Sawyer was starting to be at the end of the year and what he was in the Missouri game is what he is now, and that's a game wrecker in, these big, in the biggest games, that takes a defense that's already like a 99.9 and – puts it at 101 because now you've got every you've literally got everything you've got a really 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 high floor you've got some potential stars but you got high level game wrecking level players at every level of your defense because and i'm not saying jt tuimaloa can't do that i mean i was there at the penn state game i saw what he did there but i that also being the game wrecker who just piles up sacks has never seemed like his game it's been more of an all-around thing which is what the penn state game was it was everything but Jack Sawyer turning into a game wrecker in the past game is something that I'm on alert for because it was starting to bubble a little bit at the end of the year, and then we just saw it against Missouri, who quite frankly is a pretty decent offense, pretty decent group. And he, so it's not like he did that against a bunch of scrubs. So I, I'm on alert for that with Jack Sawyer taking the type of level that now that he spent the two full years at just defensive end and he had all that experience and he's coming off of that cotton ball taking that next step and turning himself into a potential first-round draft pick, MVP-level player as well. Andrew, who's your defensive MVP? Uh, it actually is Caleb Downs. Um, I, I look at what Caleb Downs does well, and he's a great in coverage. He's a ready tackler. You can move him around. He can play high safety. He can play in the box. He can play at the slot. You can do a lot of different things with him. And I think the impact of Caleb Downs Having him just put a lid on opposing offenses and just basically say, you know what, we, we're we good on the back end. Like, we got Caleb Downs. We're good. We don't have to worry about this. And I think that what that does for you is it allows you to play differently in, you know, in, in front of him. Denzel Burke, you could probably be a little bit more aggressive maybe. I mean, all of this ties together, right? The defensive line to the secondary, the secondary to the defensive line. Um, but you feel good about being aggressive in at corner because you have a guy who's going to help prevent deep plays. 
and you feel good about having a guy who maybe can line up farther back because he's got great athleticism and is a willing tackler and is ready to come up to the line of scrimmage and make plays. And I think it might be easy to say JT Tumaloal or Denzel Burke because they could have 12 sacks or eight interceptions or something crazy like that. Like I, I think that it might be easy to see the flash plays from those guys, but I think Caleb impacts you on a more down-to-down basis, even if it doesn't show up on the stat sheet. I just think what you have in that guy, just such an elite type player, you have an ability to do different things than you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. I mean, look, it's, it's a, I mean, we've heard this ad nauseum, but it is a safety driven defense and it is a defense that needs its safeties to play well. And I think Caleb Downs can be that guy. And, and when you are that type of athlete, when you are that type of player, like he is, this is a guy who I think everybody expects in, in two years to be a first round NFL pick and what he can do for you on the field is, is obviously kind of the splash plays and the things that you're going to see, but you're going to look and I think a closer inspection of kind of what this defense is able to do in 2024. I think a lot of it's going to be credited to Caleb Downs and what he's able to do and what he's able to force happen. And the ball might not go his way, but he's still impacting the game. So, yeah, I, I actually do think it's Caleb Downs. I've been watching this defense for two, for two years. I'm still not sure why they call it a safety driven defense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know because it, I don't know. I mean, maybe you know, it, Nathan. It, it, what about this defense, in your opinion, makes it definitively safety driven? Other than the fact that there's three safeties on the field. Well, no, that I mean that is a big part of it, and it's. You saw some of it last year in the way that Jim Knowles started talking about some of those things positionally, that if you get the right guys in place, what he had with Sonny mm-hmm. Styles and Jordan Hancock, I mean, technically those guys were playing safety, a safety mm-hmm. spot, but they weren't really safeties. And you got to you got to take other athletes and make them what you needed them to be within that that defense. And I think there's also there are some things that maybe don't show up as much in an obvious way, but like this this bandit position um, still plays downhill, I think, a lot against the run. Mm-hmm. The adjuster and the uh, the responsibilities that they have at the back end, um, I, I get where he comes from. Uh, Jim Knowles has his titles for things. Jim Knowles likes to come up with titles for things and slogans and whatever. <laughs> I think people were more <laughs> excited that it just worked as well as it did in 2023 yeah. than, um, than what any of this terminology meant. That's fair. Take one last break here, and then we'll get into our last two questions here on Buckeye Talk. If you want to ask insightful questions that lead to actual rapid-fire answers, we're doing such a great job today. Stephen Means, Nathan Bitt, Andrew Gillis is here on Buckeye Talk, a rapid-fire pod, 614-350-3315. Our guy, Anthony from Finley, who's the fastest guy on the team? I always like to know who I can count on to be a pure burner with the ball in their hands or, or run a guy down on a breakaway play if needed we don't have the numbers so we can't say this definitively we can just go off of conversations we hear and people we talk to and actually watching these guys play football nathan who do you think the fastest player on the team is yeah it's been a while since i had a look at the speed board so i don't know this for sure i do know i found a site that was tracking the mile per hour data last year in games now this is tricky because it the only way defensive players get tracked usually is if they get the ball in their hands somehow. So it's like, oh, this guy was was doing this many miles per hour on his interception return. So I don't know who that would be right now on defense. But on offense, it's Trevin Henderson, based on what we saw from that data last year. Now, again, there could be younger guys or guys who just weren't playing who – you know, is Jaden Ballard faster than Trevin Henderson? Just that Jaden Ballard didn't have a 75 yard breakaway that he got tracked on. I don't know. But, you know, Marvin Harrison was number one and Trevin Henderson was number two among the people that they actually got trackable data on last year. And I think Trevion probably would be high on this list. His is a little bit more, though. This is where it kind of comes down to what speed are you measuring? Because I feel like I don't know if he has the fastest 10 yard speed but when you put it out over an entire field 
or over 50, 60, 70 yards, I think he's hitting a, a, a top end that some other guys can't match. Yeah, I think how I took this is if they're all running 40-yard dashes, who's going to have the fastest time? And obviously, and this is – I get it. Look, who has a better start helps and all that stuff. We're just talking straight line speed here. I think Jaden Battle is the fastest guy on this team when you're just talking straight line type of speed. Almost – I think he's the closest thing they have to what Jamison Williams was. And I remember – you remember you were here too, Nathan, that Miami-Ohio game – when Jamison Williams took like a seven-yard slant and he got out on the run and it was like, oh, goodbye, my Red Hawks. I'm going to leave you back here. And it was just, okay, that's what that's going to look like when he finally gets on the field. And it didn't necessarily happen at Ohio State that way, but he got down to Alabama and lived up to everything we saw that day. I think we saw something similar with Jaden Ballard against Akron, back team again, in 2021 when he got in there at the end of that game he had 100 yards in that game and it's a lot of it was because he took a simple out route that was like seven yards and just like left the guy in the dust I think he's their fastest player it's just you know it's more of being a good football player than just being fast obviously but Andrew who do you think the fastest player on the team is well I mean I I have to say Travion um you know because obviously I I was kind of running the same thing with Nate where you're like you know how do you track certain guys speed if they're not getting the ball or they are getting the ball but it's in an enclosed space like um you know i i want to see i would love to see a 40-yard dash with Jaden ballard and trivion henderson um let's let's see what their 40 times are let's see what their miles per hour are um so i I think that those two guys were probably the ones that you think of right off the top um i'm trying like it defensively I, i i'm not sure um, you know, just cause you're, you're really probably only talking corners. Um, but I, I, I'm curious as to, as to that, but yeah, those were probably the two and it's just, it's hard in today's world where, you know, they just have access to so much data, you know, during practice and things like that, that we can just never see. Um, so I, I I'm not quite sure, but I, I think the answer has to be Travion, at least for now. Defensively, I think Calvin Simpson Hunt might be an interesting one. Just because, I mean, he's supposed to be a burner who's on special teams this past year. That would be an interesting one there. It's just, I'm, I'm thinking of people who, you guys want the guys who, to your point, we can find proven data on them because they play football. They actually got a chance to get on the field, so they have proven numbers there. But there's probably guys behind the scenes who don't necessarily get the limelight. But when they're going through mat drills like they are right now, they're at the front of some of these lines just because that's what they are. They're naturally speedster guys. And then we'll end with this, more of a journalism question. We started with a journalism question. We'll end with one. How do you create a good question for the presser? Outside of Cleveland.com, who is the best question asker on the beat and what makes them good? Nathan, you've been doing this since I was two years old. So you've had the most time to develop the skill of asking a question in front of other people to a person who is standing in front of other people. What's your process? Just take us through how you go about developing the ability to ask a good question. So it's typically easier for a Tuesday or a Wednesday when you're planning ahead. Like you can, and I will, like I'll Tuesday, I'll sit down and I I start pre-writing some things, which is how we post those stories so quickly. Uh, Like, you know, sometimes during the press conferences on Tuesdays. And, but I also start thinking about whether for those or for other things I want to write, like I, I think about like what question I want to ask. And sometimes, especially if it's a, if it's any kind of a delicate area, whether delicate personally or just even delicate from a football standpoint of like, hey, why are you playing this guy and not this guy and that sort of thing, then the wording is important. So the first step is just actually put thought into how you're going to word it. Make sure it's not a yes or no question. Make sure you also are not, um, you know, if it's a question where you need to, where there's some accountability involved, you know, don't make it, don't ask it in such a way that you're almost letting them off the hook to ask it. And just be be um, direct, be specific, because I think those sometimes it's coaches get a lot of like general questions. And the answer, the true answer to a lot of those is like, well, it depends. And if you're trying to be be specific about the exact scenario you're talking about, um, the the, the people involved, make sure it's not too broad of a question. I think those things are all important and that's all easier to do on a Tuesday or Wednesday when you know who you're going to talk to and you've got longer to prepare. What can be tougher and is a little bit sloppier is the post game press conferences at times, because 
those are, uh, depending on how the game ended, um, a little bit just naturally messier. But even in those cases, you should start to try thinking ahead of time. Hey, I'm somebody's going to have to ask Ryan Day about why this went this way. What's the best way to ask that question? Andrew, what's your process? Well, I think the best questions and the best question askers kind of come from a group of people that are, they think of ways to ask a question to an answer that everybody kind of already knows. Um, you know, like for example, you know, I think back to the quarterback competition with Kyle McCord in, in, um, in August with, with he and Devin Brown, where it was, we knew Ryan day wasn't going to give us anything. We knew that the situation, and, and I'm not blaming Ryan day for that. I wouldn't either. If I was a football coach, I would lie every single day of my life. Um, but the, I think the, the number one thing is, you know, that you're going to get out there and Ryan day is going to say that both guys are doing a great job and that they haven't made a decision yet and blah, 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 blah. And, the best questions come from an area where you can kind of work around that. I think, you know, when, when you start to know that, okay, he's going to give us this, how do I ask something in a manner that is going to give us a, a different perspective on this, right? Like, how do I get him to open up? How do I get him to talk about maybe what he is thinking in terms of what, cinches things for him what what you know what makes it a the decision is final for him like that would be kind of the way that I would look at it because I think that those ways are kind of um you know it's easy to ask a question that's very blunt and to the point hey Ryan have you named a starting quarterback yet uh no we haven't okay thanks Ryan like that's like that's fine to ask that first question like you have to ask if, if you named a starting quarterback or whatever the easy question sounds like, or do you have any comment on this? But I think the best questions come from the level where you can say, okay, what is going to be the reason he chooses a starting quarterback? Do you have a timeline? Like what, like what's the timeline for this? You know, is there a moment that you're looking for? How do you decide this with your coaching staff? Like the process I think is just as important in some of these things and getting a question that can get somebody to open up about their process is is good. And, and I'm not even saying it always has to lead to an answer. Some I've been, you know, I've been in rooms, you know, covering football, hockey, whatever, where you'll be sitting there thinking to yourself, like, ah, damn, that was a really good question. That was an outstanding question. And then you're like, and then you kind of like look to the coach, you're like, or a player, and you're like waiting for an answer, and you're all excited to hear what they have to say. And then they're just gonna be like, you know, I'm not touching it. Or, I, you know, I just they'll, they'll repeat the same thing that they just said. So sometimes it doesn't always lead to good answers, but it doesn't mean it wasn't a good question. Open-ended questions. Don't let them get yes or no with you. I think sometimes your question has to be simple in a way that it gets out of the way. Um, you don't want to – because sometimes when you – sometimes it, it almost depends on the situation. It also depends on who you're talking to. you got to know the person you're asking the question to. And the more you do pressures with them, you know what's going to shut them down and have them not say anything because they've been asked this 30 different ways. And like the like, – let's, let's use the Michigan stuff this past season when that stuff all broke. It got to a point during one presser, I can't remember what it was, but it was very clear Ryan Day was not going to go down that road. And everybody was trying to dress up their question every which way, but simply asking the same question like, hey, what do you think about that Michigan stuff? And he wasn't going to go down the road. And I'm going to shout out my own colleagues. That's what we do. I shout out my own teammate. Then when we got Ryan Day that Thursday, Nathan, you asked a question about Michigan stuff, but it wasn't a, hey, what do you think about the Michigan stuff? It was just fact-checking information that you were trying to get a true or false answer to something that had been reported in that situation. That's a way to go about it because after like two or three people asking, Hey, how do you feel about the Michigan stuff? And he's clearly not going to go down that road. You probably should move on from that. So I think it depends on who the person you're talking to, what the subject matter is, what you're trying to get out of it. Cause if you're just asking a question, cause you're trying to get a quote, 
then, you know, sometimes you might ask it in a way that a person who's genuinely trying to get information isn't going to ask it. So a lot goes into it. So to Nathan's point, yeah, you got to kind of prepare for it. Everybody has their own way of preparing. When I'm driving to the Woody, I'm (laughs) trying 30 different ways to try to ask a question in my head, trying to figure out which one the best is. I'm sure you guys have a process as well, but not to give the coach answer, but it genuinely just depends on the situation the person you're talking to and what the subject matter is and how you want, how you have to handle it. Yeah. Doug is, I think the best on the beat at asking questions because he does a good job of, he takes it seriously. He takes the craft of asking a question seriously. And when he has to ask something about, Hey, like why is Parker Fleming still the special teams coordinator? Like he, he does a good job of like establishing he does a good job of establishing like why this question needs to be asked to make sure, because sometimes mm-hmm. it's a tough job. I mean, he's paid well for it, but it's not an easy job. Like Ryan day stood up there for like an hour last week and answered questions from us. And they're coming from all over the room yep. and you don't see him ahead of time. Like you're just getting them off the cuff, like whatever anybody wants to throw at you. And um, sometimes it is pretty bizarre stuff that people will throw out there. And I think Doug has always done a good job of, quickly you have to do it quickly but like kind of quickly setting the scene and then Mm -hmm. following up with the direct question as to what's going on here and a lot of times frankly when i'm thinking about like if i'm anticipating having to ask a question that's on the edge then i think of like how would doug answer ask this question and sort of try to copy that in my head a little bit he's he's just very good at it he's been doing it for a long time and and like i said he he takes it seriously and in the times when i feel like I haven't asked good questions. There, there are times when I'll show up on a Tuesday ready to ask like two or three things. And then partially because I assume other people are going to ask about something. And then when they don't ask about it and I have to come up with a question a little bit more on the fly, I usually end up being disappointed with how I asked it. So I, again, I think preparation is key. Like we have, we know who we're going to talk to ahead of time on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. That makes it a lot easier. Doug, for sure. Veteran on the beat. This is gonna. I don't, you probably. You got. I don't know if you guys would agree with this or not. Tim asked thirty-five questions in one question, but I think he does ask good questions. It's just always so dressed up in all this extra stuff that the actual point of the question can get lost, and you don't catch it when we're sitting there live talking to Ryan Day. But then when you go back and you're listening through and trying, you know, just reviewing what was talked about. It's like, oh, we actually got some good information out of that question. It's just when it's you know, Tim's a character, right? And so it, it sometimes can be crazy and come out of left field. But I, I, have, I have learned to appreciate Tim May more on the second listen through and the third listen through than in the, while well, to your point, Doug can get it right then and there, immediately can get to it. And you don't have to feel like, where are you going with this? And so those two for sure. Ironically enough, the old two old geezers on the beat. Those are the guys. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I would consider Doug on the beat anymore because he's doing national stuff. But those two guys this is around the team in their own. Yeah, and those two guys in their own unique ways. I I, I don't doubt their ability to get information well, when it comes to being impressors. Well, and it also comes down to. I mean, this is just any presser. It also comes down to like your personality. Like it doesn't make sense for you to just put on another hat and be a completely different person when you're asking questions. Like, um, you know, I mean, maybe you have to step outside your comfort zone, but like you also kind of have to be like true to who you are as a person when you're asking these things, uh, because mm. then it's genuine and and then it's um, you know, then it's a little more open. Like I know, like in open locker room type settings, uh, which I know you guys have had for bowl games and stuff like that, it's not the scripted Ryan Day press conference where. You know, you know, Jerry will call on each individual person and you just kind of have to wait your turn. And sometimes you're waiting your turn and you're 35th in line and you're just kind of like sitting there waiting through the questions. And, you, you know, oh, somebody asked that question. I need to ask about this. Oh, somebody asked that question. You can kind of run down the line of what questions you need answered. Um, and in kind of open locker room settings where it's just kind of a free for all. Or, you know, after games where, you know, it's you and three players or you and three other people around a player like you just kind of have to come up with it on the fly and it doesn't make sense to, you know, to try and stray from who you are. Um, I've always liked the way Bill Landis has questions. I think it's direct. I think it's to the point, um, you know, there are, 
there are ways to do it. You know, you mentioned the Doug aspect of things. I think he's a really good question asker too. Um, you know, Tim as well. Like there's, there's ways to do it where you can be uniquely yourself and it doesn't make like, if I asked Ryan day a question in the manner that Tim may ask Ryan day a question, everyone would look at me like I'm losing my mind, but that's Tim and I'm not Tim, you know, it's just, you, you have to kind of be who you are when you're asking these things. So your personality can like actually shine through because then they'll respect you for it. Like if you, if you're yourself, then you can at least defend it and you can at least say, look, this is just, this is just, this is just me. And, um, so I've always liked the way Bill does that because I think it's direct. I think it's to the point. I don't think there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, there's not a lot of beating around the bush. Um, and, and I think that when when you can attack it in a direct manner, I've always found that, you know, players and coaches will respect that if you're just like, look, man, tell me about this. What's going on? And you can just say, "I, what's your response to this or something like that? Like, if you can just go straight at it, I think people respect it more than just saying, well, I think that uh, maybe and, and you start to add in all these qualifiers and you're telling all these different stories in your question. And I, uh, I, I just think that sometimes direct is better. So the moral of the story is we're all decent at this, but we're all so much better at it when we get guys one on one. I promise you oh. the best quotes always come from the one on one segment. And there is not a single journalist on the planet who will tell you otherwise. And if they do, they are lying to you. So get the text 614-350-3315 because when we get guys ourselves that's the first place we're going to go with that information just like that's the first place we go with information after pressers just like that's the first place we go with information when anything breaks when anything happens in life around ohio state football the first place we go to it is to the text 614-350-3315 two-week free trial 399 after that that'll wrap up this rapid fire tech uh podcast for nathan baird and for andrew gillis i'm steven means that was buckeye talk